is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Winter surge that's been hitting Europe seems to be just getting started here in the U.S. Could be fueled mostly by the Omicron variant. Maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe it won't be that bad. Pfizer is having problems with its vaccine in the youngest of kids. We'll review the year in the economy and how that pandemic created a roller coaster. Let's start with Omicron and winter. Dr. Helen Kip Talbert is an infectious disease specialist at Vanderbilt University and a member of the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. Also, Dr. Sandra Bliss Nelson is an infectious disease specialist with Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Talbot, there's so much conflicting data about Omicron. What do we really know? I really think confusion has been a story of the pandemic. <laughs> we've been talking, You're right we've there. Talked, <laughs> we've talked about this before. I said, there's just so, there's only so much we can learn so fast. Um, and I think that's true for Omicron again. I don't know that we have all the answers. In six months, we probably will. Um, I feel comfortable saying that. But right now, I think we're still learning just like everyone else is learning. Um, I think the message, though, really hasn't changed. So if you if you step back from what variant circulating, the message is always the same. Get vaccinated for yourself and your neighbor, wear your mask for yourself and your neighbor, and wash your hands often. I mean, that message hasn't changed, and it won't really change regardless what the virus changes to. Dr. Nelson, with the movement of people, the gatherings we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, do you think we're going to get hit by this Omicron wave? You know, I think in some parts of the country, we are already hit by this Omicron wave. You know, I do think, uh, as exactly as Dr. Talbot mentioned, we are still learning about this, but the data does seem to suggest that this variant is quite a bit more transmissible and case counts are rising very rapidly in areas in which it's already taken hold. So I do think it's likely that we are going to continue to see numbers go up for the next several weeks, uh, well into January. Dr. Talbot, back to you, because one of the things that I don't totally understand is I was listening to some of the figures before out of New York City, which has seen a a relative explosion in the past few days of cases, yet the city, I I believe, is still saying something like 99% of the cases are probably Delta, not Omicron. So if that's true, then uh, are the vaccines not doing a good enough job even against Delta? Why now? that's really a different question. So there are cases occurring, but are the patients critically ill? So that's the question. It's not surprising that the vaccine will um, have breakthrough infections or people get sick even if they were vaccinated, but the being super sick, being hospitalized, being on a ventilator is much, much lower if they've been vaccinated. So I think the real question here is, how many people are getting sick, but then how many of those people are actually hospitalized? How many of those people are on oxygen and on ventilators? So I don't think it's a matter of the vaccines working or not. I think it's more of we have really worked and used these vaccines to prevent hospitalizations, but that doesn't mean they'll definitely prevent infection. Dr. Nelson, given the rates of people who are boosted right now, I imagine you'd like to see those rates a whole lot higher. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think uh, early on the data around the importance of boosting and those 
pre-Delta, pre-Omicron era were, were not that clear, but in the Omicron era, the data really does support a higher efficacy, particularly against infection, not as, uh, as Dr. Talbot mentioned, necessarily against severe outcomes, but against infection, boosting does seem to improve uh, both the antibody response and the effectiveness in some of the limited studies that we've seen. Dr. Nelson, I'm I'm wondering whether or not, uh, well, I mean, I kind of know from two years now on this show of of doing almost nothing but, it seems, COVID stories, that the one thing that this country does very poorly uh, with this pandemic is messaging. We really are not very good at communicating to the public what the public really should be afraid of, what they shouldn't be afraid of. Um, If you agree with that premise, uh, what is the messaging now that should be given to the public? You know, I I do really agree with that premise. And I think that, you know, there are certainly times that those of us in the infectious disease and public health community have prematurely um, expressed views based on data that really wasn't yet robust. Um, And I think over time, we have gotten better at that. And one of the things that we're trying to do is um, separate out what we really know and where the where we really think we just have some clues that are trending in one direction. You know, I think with Omicron, what we really know is that it is much more transmissible in places and where where it has taken hold. It is uh, it is increasing at a much more rapid pace than we have seen in other places. I do think that we know that prior protection is is lower with uh, or protection against infection is is lower compared to uh, prior variants when it comes to our understanding about vaccine related protection. But I think the piece that remains uh, quite unknown is around severity. There are some good indicators that the disease itself may be less severe. There are lots of reasons we need to be cautious around interpreting that data. So this would be one of those areas that I think uh, we we can't be secure in. But really, like Dr. Talbot said earlier, what we know is is the fundamentals of public health and prevention strategies are going to remain critical to help prevent any significant outcomes from this surge. Dr. Talbot, let's talk about some of those fundamentals and a couple pieces to this in whether we have faith or hope that people will do these things. Number one, you start feeling bad, so you got to go get a test, whether you're waiting to willing to stand in in the longer lines now that we're seeing out there or hunt one down at the store because people are buying them more. So hopefully you can get tested, right? But then you got to have faith in people to actually, what, follow these isolation rules, which is up to 10 days. If if you've got COVID and you think it's Omicron or just even regular COVID, you got to stay apart from people. And we hope that people actually will do that. Yes, we do. And we hope when they go to the store to buy their tests, they'll wear a mask. Um, So that's a big ask for many people. But yes, we do hope that they will isolate, let people that they have been around know that they've been exposed and that they um, do what they can to stop the spread. Well, I'm glad you mentioned, uh, you know, going to the store buying tests, because uh, in line with what we were just uh, talking about with Dr. Nelson about uh, bad messaging and, and what we're getting right and wrong and communicating to the public. Here we go again, though. Uh, you know, the, the the messaging that I've seen in the past few days with Omicron is, uh, you know, if you feel like you have some symptoms, go and get a test. Uh, if you can't get it at your local health clinic, go to your drugstore and pick it up. Well, good luck with that one. Why is one. this not easier by yeah, now? Yeah, I mean, I, I was telling Mike before we went on the air that uh, I went to a, a pharmacy right across the street almost from where we are now. And yesterday they had about 50 boxes of at-home tests. Today they had zero and no idea of when they're going to get any more. So, 
you know, the the information that the public is getting to do certain things, for the most part, they can't do. It's true. And I think there's multiple reasons for that. I think one of the big reasons is that we routinely underfund our public health infrastructure. And this underfunded public health infrastructure has been running full speed ahead now for almost 20 months. And unfortunately, we're losing some of our public health expertise and knowledge and workers because they're tired. Um, So I think thinking forward in the future, lesson to be learned is we always need to have a well-funded public health infrastructure so that we can train the next generation. I don't think I'll do another pandemic. I've done two. I think I'm done. (laughs) Um, And I think- Don't blame you. Yeah. I'm kind of done. But I think we also need to have those people um, who can make the system work. The system has to be designed to handle this level of testing. And I think we're not done with the fluctuations. I think we're going to have ups and downs for a little bit more now. And I think being prepared for the ups and downs is also important. And that's a message that needs to be understood by the public and public health. Dr. Helen Kip Talbot, infectious disease specialist, Vanderbilt University. Dr. Sandra Bliss Nelson, infectious disease specialist, Massachusetts General. Pfizer is testing its two-dose COVID vaccine on kids five and younger, but it's not going well. Two doses don't seem to be creating much of an immune response. Now the company adjusting. Dr. Dean Blumberg, pediatrician and infectious disease specialist at UC Davis Health. So Dr. Pfizer's considering uh, three tiny dose shots now? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why you actually have to do the studies. You can't just like guess at this kind of stuff, right? We want to make sure that the vaccine is safe and effective. So they figure out what they think is going to be the right dose, and then they study it. And what they found is that in those six months to 23 months of age, it looks like they got the dose right. But in those two to four years of age, their immune response wasn't as good as the comparator group. And that's 16 to 25-year-olds where they know the antibody levels and they know that that actually does protect against disease. So when they didn't get as good of an immune response, they went back to the drawing board and said, we got we to adjust this in some way, either give a bigger dose or give an extra dose. Now, is this uh, at all unexpected? I mean, you know, a lot of people think of, of you know, infants, little children children as just basically miniature adults, but they're not. Right, they're not. And the immune system is generally more robust in younger individuals. And so that's why the dose that was chosen was lower. They chose a three microgram dose, and that's less than the 10 microgram dose that is used for the five to 11 year olds and less than the 30 microgram dose that's used for um, those who are 12 years and up. So so yeah, they, they looked at the dose. They did a small study that suggested that dose would be good. But when they did the larger study, it just didn't work out that way. So for anxious parents who want to get uh, the tiny kids vaccinated, how much longer does this extend things, you know, time-wise? Well, we were expecting these results um, this month or early next year, and we were hoping that they would be so promising that then we would get that emergency use authorization from the FDA um, in about a month or so. So this delays that. So they're going to have to redo those studies with that additional dose and see if they can get an adequate immune response that will be predictive of protection and then also to do the actual protection studies. So it just delays that for this age group. Is it uh, much more difficult to do these vaccine trials with, with children of that age? 
It, it can be more challenging in that adults and teenagers, for example, will volunteer for the studies and they often involve blood draws. Um, whereas parents may be more reluctant to have the younger children have to experience blood draws. Of course, the younger children don't understand about the blood draw and they, they you know, it hurts. And so they cry. That's hard for, for a parent. Do we still have the plus side of, look, kids are not immune. Like, you know, the early days we said they're not going to get this at all, but they're still less likely to come down with a, a bad case of COVID. Well, certainly children um, do have less severe disease than adults, but it's important for them to be protected too. You know, I'm a specialist with pediatric infectious diseases, so I see children admitted all the time to the hospital, including into the ICU and on ventilators with COVID and complications related to COVID. In the U.S., more than 900 children have died from COVID. So although the risk is lower in children, it's it's not nothing. It's really, it, it, it can result in significant hardship. Do we also, or have we learned over the past now, what, almost two years of this pandemic, when it comes to young uh, children, uh, whether those who uh, get infected but are asymptomatic or those who are symptomatic but don't, you know, require hospitalization, but do we know anything about long-haul COVID for kids as they get older? Yeah, so the long-haul COVID appears to be less common in children compared to adults, but both symptomatic and asymptomatically infected children may get long COVID, and this can be very disruptive to them so that they may end up missing significant time at, at school and with their other activities. Dr. Dean Blumberg, pediatrician, infectious disease specialist, UC Davis Health. Coming up after this short break, a look back and a look forward at the economy. 2021 has been a crazy year for the economy, inflation, housing, prices shooting up and supply chain problems impacting everything from pies to microchips for cars. KYW's Matt Leon with Villanova University economist David Fiorenza about the pandemic economy. A look back in January 2021, there was over 900,000 claims per week in that regard. And when the pandemic started, it was even more. So this is a good thing. This is a good thing, 206,000. I'm happy with that number. And the continuing claims were, were down a bit, 1.845 million, I think, uh, uh, they, which, which came in under what was expected. It was, and that's very good. And it's still historically low if we take a look at that. And I delved into some of the states, and they, some states are doing very well, Wisconsin, Kentucky. Other states are showing unemployment rates of 3% or even lower, which is a good thing. Retail sales we saw a little disappointing, uh, I think up 0.3%. Any positive is a good thing, but given we're in the midst of the holiday season, I think people expected more. Uh, this was the smallest uh, rise in a few months. What do you think's at play here? Well, Matt, there's a few things going on. Absolutely correct. Positive is good. I think people started shopping early as in October, and you saw October sales were close to 2%. Uh, people maybe... We're concerned about other variants, whether it was ones they heard about from Europe or Africa or other countries. Maybe they were concerned about supply chain. They were probably also concerned that we better spend our money now because we're not sure what's going to happen November, December. Weather as a factor, we're not sure if we're going to be able to travel on airplanes. So, you know, I take this as, okay, November wasn't so good. I can tell you in December, talking to some of the big retailers in the area and some of the shopping malls, they're telling me that December is a good month for them, at least in the Delaware Valley. 
We heard from Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Uh, what did he say? What did he talk about this week? Well, Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve uh, Chair, went on TV and did his his speech, which was really good, I thought. And he talked about slowing down the purchasing of treasuries and what they call MBSs, mortgage-backed securities. They were purchasing close to $120 billion per month. And someone would say, well, my God, that's a lot. Well, they were trying to stir the economy up. And we certainly did stir the economy up because we had inflation. But I think the Fed knew that going into this. And what they're going to be doing next year, they're already going to start this in January, is slow the economy down a little bit and maybe only buy between 15 and $20 billion of these mortgage-backed securities. But that doesn't mean you're not going to get a loan. That just, mean, that just means you're going to get a loan, but you may take a little bit more time. You've got to fight for it a little bit more. The banking industry had so much money out there because they were trying to stir the economy. So I think the Federal Reserve is making the right moves to slow inflation down, Matt. We're seeing an explosion in COVID cases with this Omicron variant. Uh, jury is still out. If it's going to be worse, there are some indications that it travels. It, you can catch it easier, but it doesn't seem to be as potent. Once again, the jury is still out on that. That's just kind of some speculation. Do you expect this to throw a monkey wrench in the economy starting 2022? Or do you think we've kind of adjusted where these waves cause serious issues? I don't want to minimize them. But from an economic standpoint, we've kind of learned how to deal with this. Absolutely, Matt. We have learned to deal with it. However, there are going to be some concerns of some companies, Tower Health and others that were looking to sell off some of their what they call less profitable hospitals in in the um, outer areas of Lancaster County, Chester County. Uh, that doesn't mean that they didn't have COVID cases. It just means the healthcare industry is continuing to evolve during this pandemic and looking for efficiencies and looking for where uh, their next move is. Uh, is it going to be in the hospital and is it going to be in more of the day, uh, day-to-day operations and then you leave? So healthcare is the area that I'm going to be taking a look at next year to see what changes will happen. We're not sure what's going to happen with this variant. Matt. Let's hope for the best. Overall, when you look at the economic year that was 2021, as this will be our last conversation of the calendar year, uh, I think the picture, the, the arrow points to a, a much more positive than negative picture. We talked about the jobless claims, uh, but I, this was a good year considering in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of uncertainty, I thought a lot of good things happened. It was a very good year with a lot of things, a lot of economic numbers. Now, people are still hurting. We know that. You and I realize that. Uh, let's go back to 1969. I'll make another Woodstock reference here. The job market was one half of what it was today. So there's a lot more people in the job market. There's a lot more jobs created, IT, tech, and other kinds of things. The housing market has really um blossomed. Now, that's good in certain areas, but other areas, if you're trying to afford your first house, well, you've seen increases of at least 16% of home prices, according to the National Association of Realtors. Some cities as high as 33%, like Austin, Texas. So I'm going to take a look at that next year. I really want people to still afford homes. Uh, start looking for your homes. The interest rates are still relatively low, Matt. Looking ahead, talking about next year, and you talked about, you know, looking at housing. What are some other things you think will be stories in 2022? And when I say stories, they could be continuing stories, you know, or do you think there will be 
new things. Like I think for 2021, inflation was something, I mean, not a new concept, but the first time it really appeared on the national stage in a big way in a long time. What do you think are some things we'll see in 2022? Great question. Companies are going to realize, do we go back to work more than one day a week, two days a week? Do we continue on Zoom and other applications? Do we continue remotely? I'm seeing a lot of jobs posted working part-time, working full-time, working remotely. I'm also seeing a lot of people going to the gig economy to make a little bit extra money in that regard. So 2022 is going to be a year that you're going to see the commercial real estate take a look this at in the Philadelphia Wilmington, the large cities, Allentown, all over Camden. And what do we do with our leases? Do we try to renegotiate our leases? And what do those commercial realtors do? They start chopping up the buildings more. Where is the growth going to come from? Is it going to be suburban Philadelphia? Is Philadelphia going to hopefully prosper? And I've been looking at a lot of studies that have been done by consulting firms in the city They're looking at 2022 as a very hopeful year for the city of Philadelphia. I hope they're right, Matt. We talked about the Fed earlier and what we're going to see early. I personally think uh, 2022 is going to be a very active year overall for the Federal Reserve. I think they're going to, to make a lot of moves to try to keep juggling all the balls in the air. Do you agree? Oh, I agree. And another thing, I've been very busy, as you can tell. I did talk to some people at the Jersey Shore. They're actually excited for New Year's Eve, and they're they're actually excited that the weather's still warm. It may not be helping all the ice skating rinks that we have in the area, like the like the one on Delaware Avenue and the new one that just opened up Edgemont. But I think the Jersey Shore is excited. The county officials are excited. They're looking for a really good 2022. Keep your fingers crossed, Matt. You and I, hopefully, variants do not uh, spoil the events that are going to take place in 2022. Mentioned inflation earlier, and it's really been the main story, I would say, the second half of the calendar year uh, from an economic standpoint. I'm curious. You and I are talking our final conversation of 2022. Is inflation still front and center, or do you think it has receded to something that is still in the mix but is not a driving force when it comes to economic discussion? Great question. Let's take a look at that. As long as the elected officials let Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserves do their job, I think we're going to see inflation stabilize next year. It's not going to go back down to 2%, but I think it's going to stabilize. It's. I don't think we're going to see double digits. You know, And, and I think people's wages are going to eventually catch up uh, with the inflation because I see a lot of union contracts out there that are paying 3 to 5%, which is – High compared to the Trump era when wages were going up only 1%, one and a half. People's wages went up during the Trump era because of the tax cuts, not because your wages rose, because you got a raise. People were doing so well, it was so hard to prove that you needed a raise because inflation was around 2%, <laughs> union wise, that is. So I think next year is going to be a, a good year. Inflation will stabilize and it will come down as long as they let Jerome Powell do his job. We just talked about how sports are being hit hard now. COVID concerns and protocols have now forced the NFL to postpone three games. The Raiders-Browns were moved from Saturday to Monday. The Rams-Seahawks and Washington Eagles games were moved from Sunday to Tuesday. The Rams have almost 
half of their players in COVID protocols. Health official in Australia holding a COVID news conference interrupted by one of those big huntsman spiders. This shows how controlled I could be. I don't like huntsmen, but I'm going to keep going and I'm going to pretend I don't have a huntsman on me right now and let someone else manage this. But if it gets anywhere near my face, please let me know. It's very Australian. Minus yeah. like American <laughs> tourists who would come and see one and be like, what is that thing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, another official attempted to shoo the spider away with some of the papers, but they did lose track of it. So that guy is... Uh, Still somewhere around there. This is our final podcast of this year. So we'll see you back in January. Yeah, Happy New Year. And uh, hopefully things in terms of the pandemic will improve greatly.